Let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to to spend some time with you, to be able to worship, to be able to celebrate who you are, and to celebrate the incredible love and grace you extend to us every day. We pray today that you would be honored in us. I pray that you be with those who are physically hurting. We know of many who are dealing with illness, some who are in the hospital, some who are at home, some who are some who today, in many ways, they, um, they're hurting, but it's not always physical. Lord, I pray for those who emotionally are distraught. Lord, I spoke with someone this week who is going through incredible issues with their family, and they need your comfort, and they need your strength. And I pray today that you would simply meet with them, that you would touch them, that you would turn what seems impossible into possible in reality. Father, I pray that you would continue to be with those who have covid I pray that you would give them strength and healing, and we look forward to seeing uh, them back with us and us being able to meet again together as the body of Christ very soon. Lord, I pray that you would be with those who are financially hurting, especially right now as uh, some people are unable to work. I pray that you would provide for their every need. We pray for our nation. We pray that you'd be with those who lead us, those who protect us. Lord, it seems like we pray the same prayer every week, but the needs are still present. So we ask that your will would be done. We pray that miracles would take place, that you would change hearts, that uh, those who are against our nation, even from within, that they would recognize that there is a mighty God who can bring us together as one. And I pray that that would happen. Father, again, we thank you for all that you've done for us. Our greatest need is a spiritual need. I pray today that you would send revival to your people, to your church. I pray that this land would experience it as well, but I pray that you begin here within us. Lord, speak to us now. Allow your word to change who we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What well, is a blessing to have each of you with us today, and this is a different kind of day for sure. In fact, I didn't mention it, but you probably noticed that when I came up on stage, I waited for everyone to clear out to get away from me. And a part of that is because about an hour before the recording of this service today, I tested positive for COVID. So because of that, uh, I was asking them to just be as cautious as possible this morning. Uh, that being said, I do ask for your grace. I'm going to do my best to present the word. I'll tell you, I feel great. Actually, my energy level is where it's supposed to be. It's just an issue of me losing my voice. And I feel really good. This is going to be a great service. I do believe that. Uh, that being said, I probably will not be making any pastoral visits this week. So I just ask for your grace with that as well. But you're in good hands. You have a good pastoral staff that will take great care of you this week. And they'll make sure that everybody is in good shape. Um, that being said, let's get into the message a little bit this morning. Imagine living in a neighborhood where everything seemed normal only to discover one day that nothing was actually normal. I live in a great neighborhood. In fact, I would say that most of the time, things are uneventful, but not this past Friday. My son and I had been working out in the yard on cleaning up the backyard, specifically from all the renovations that have been taking place. I talked about them last Sunday. When all of a sudden, 12 U.S. Marshals showed up, with vests, shields, and their weapons drawn. Fortunately, they were not there for us. They were there for a neighbor, 
and what appears to have been drug and weapons charges. The standoff lasted for about an hour before we watched them break down the door and take him into custody. While what was going on, while that was going on, we could hear plenty of sirens and then a helicopter. Apparently, a neighbor a few streets over had been burning leaves and branches and had accidentally set himself on fire. He was airlifted to the Augusta Regional Medical Center for serious burns. Shortly thereafter, as we continued to clean up our yard, I discovered a container that was under my deck. It looked like it had been there for a very long time. <clears throat> Definitely from before we moved in. It contained a small amount of illegal drugs and a large amount of drug paraphernalia. I talked with the local sheriff's deputy who told me how to best dispose of it. And then he shared with me about all the crazy people who had lived there in our house prior to us moving in. Needless to say, he was not surprised. Maybe our little community is not quite as perfect or as normal as I had perceived it to be. By the way, I am convinced that sometimes God allows things to happen around me just so that I'll have good illustrations to share on Sunday. Thank you for being willing to be a part of those illustrations at times. Well, today I want us to look at a church that seemed to have everything going right. They were on track. They had endured much struggle, but had remained faithful. Yet things were not as perfect as they may have thought they were. I'm talking about the church at Pergamum this morning, as described in Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. You're welcome to read along with me if you would like. This is what it says in the New International Version this morning. <clears throat> to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me. Not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. As I've stated earlier in this series, there is much for us to learn from each of these letters. That being said, there are certain things that are also somewhat unique to each of these churches. Things that we might not always recognize so easily due to the fact that we don't perfectly understand their context. But before we get to the church, I love the way that God is described in this letter. 
He's described as having a sharp, double-edged sword. The double-edged sword has two sharp edges so that it can cut in two directions when yielded by an accomplished swordsman. The Bible likens the word of God to such a sword in Hebrews 4.12, where it says, For the word of God is alive and exerts power and is sharper than any two-edged sword and pierces even to the dividing of soul and spirit and of joint from the marrow and is able to discern thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God has indeed proven itself to be sharper than any two-edged sword. It separates the truth from the lie by sharply cutting to the quick. And here, as Jesus returns, he cuts deeply, penetrating the hearts of mankind, revealing what is truly going on inside of us. The double-edged sword reveals both the good and the bad about us. On the outside, we can work really hard to portray ourselves as healthy and whole, but God looks deep beneath the surface. You've heard me reference it before, but when Samuel was sent to go and anoint the next king of Israel, the Lord took him to a man named Jesse's house. And one by one, each of Jesse's sons were brought before Samuel beginning with the oldest, and they were impressive. And when you think about it, the first one is brought before Samuel, and he's big, and he's strong, and he's good-looking. And immediately Samuel thinks to himself, this must be the right one. But listen to the words of the Lord in 1 Samuel sixteen seven. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance nor his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The point is that God is the only one who genuinely knows our hearts, perhaps even better than we do ourselves. But I'll also add one other thought with this double-edged sword. It's not always good. In fact, although Jesus will come to rescue and deliver humanity, he will also come to judge. Often a double-edged sword is quite violent. There's one other reference to a double-edged sword in the scriptures. It's found in Proverbs chapter 5. Listen to verses 3 and 4 of Proverbs chapter 5. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. The image is one of destruction. So we must be wary of the double-edged sword. If your heart is not right, then you need to make sure that it is right while you have the chance. Well, I do also want to talk today about the church, at least for a bit. According to verse 13, one of the first things that we see is that they were faithful in adversity. In fact, the adversity which they faced was significant. At least one person has already been killed 
for his faith. It was a guy named Antipas. And it's interesting, he is the only named individual to have been martyred in the book of Revelation. So this was a big deal. It's likely, though, that there were even others who were killed here in Pergamum. Yet the church was steady. There would be no compromise. They were willing to die for their faith. In addition, the place where they lived was unique. Twice in this passage, we hear about this being the place where Satan dwells or where he has his throne. This is part of the unique nature of Pergamum. This was a major Greek city within the Roman Empire. And within it, there were multiple temples intended to honor various gods. The oldest of these temples was intended for worship of Zeus, the chief god, and Athena, the goddess of war, according to Greek mythology. At the altar within the temple, there was a huge empty throne where Zeus, the chief god, supposedly sat. It is also said that Pergamum was the home of emperor worship among the Romans. In fact, in 29 BC, Caesar Augustus had a temple that was built there in his honor. That gives a little bit of perspective to why Jesus tells the church this is the place where Satan lives or where Satan's throne is in this passage. The point is that the church, though, had been faithful. It likely had not been easy for them. At times, they had to make difficult decisions. And for that, they deserved to be commended. I will say that most of us, most of those who are watching, most who are listening, participating in the service and here today, we've never truly been in their shoes. When we think of persecution, it's unlikely that we see it in the same light which they did. For us, we're looked down upon because of our faith. Perhaps we're even marginalized. For us, we are seen as perhaps intolerant. And maybe there are others who would mock us for our old-fashioned ideas. But for the Church of Pergamum, persecution was about imprisonment or perhaps even life and death. I pray that such persecution never comes upon us. Although I also believe that such persecution is closer to us than what we think. As it is, lawsuits have been levied against Christians for simply standing up for what they believe. And in some places, pastors are already restricted in what they can preach and teach about. If we are to continue on this path, there is a great likelihood that the day will come when we will become very familiar with the church at Pergamum. As such, let me challenge you for a moment. While I do not wish this upon any of us, I challenge you to prepare today for what could come tomorrow. Determine now that you will be faithful regardless of what persecution might come our way. Allow the word of God to be what determines who you are and how you live. 
And as Jesus said in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. That puts us in pretty good company. But unfortunately for the church at Pergamum, there were some what I will call cracks in the armor. Areas of compromise that put them at great risk. One author stated that they have not yet renounced their allegiance to Christ, but they are already dancing around the edges of apostasy. Apostasy is a falling away, is a drifting. They're already dancing around it. In other words, they are heading in the wrong direction. It would seem that while they were willing to die for their faith, there were some Christians in Pergamum who were not willing to live for their faith. Now, there are at least two types of sin that are specifically addressed in this passage. And remember that we're talking about the church. We're not talking about those outside the church or those in the community around us. We're talking about those who would identify themselves as Christians. The first one is sexual immorality. Verse 14 says, There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Now, I will tell you that this is an odd reference as Balaam's story never specifically addresses sexual immorality. It's actually recorded in Numbers chapter 22. Balaam was a prophet who was asked by the king of Moab, Balak, to come and curse the people of Israel. Initially, he refused, knowing that God would not be pleased. Yet later, he relents when Balak promises great reward for his service. I would guess that in the mind of Balaam, disobedience to the Lord was okay as long as it produced a great enough price. By the way, many of you will be familiar with the story of Balaam simply because of an event that takes place when he does go to declare this prophecy against Israel. That's when his donkey would actually save his life and eventually the donkey would begin to speak to him. Now I will tell you that that statement about Balaam, the statement that disobedience to the Lord was okay as long as it produced a great enough price, that statement sounds harsh. But I imagine that many of us have chosen likewise. We know what God expects of us, yet we compromise because we like the reward that is available within our sin. It has been said that within Balaam, we have a fitting yet tragic illustration of our Lord's teaching about light in us being darkness. Balaam had a head full of light, but a heart it was apparently very dark. Great was that darkness. I know a lot of Christians who know the right thing to do, but choose to do evil instead. At times, that has even been me. 
It was the Apostle Paul who lamented in Romans 7.15 that I do not understand what I do for what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Know that within each of us is the capacity to walk in obedience or disobedience. But God has given us all that we need to walk in obedience to him. Lean into him and he will give you the victory. The second area of sin that is addressed in our passage is related to a group of people referred to as the Nicolaitans. They're actually referred to in one of the other letters to the seven churches here in Revelation chapter 2. We're not 100% certain of who these people were as they have wandered off into obscurity over time. However, some theologians believe that they were a group of people who followed a man named Nicholas who abandoned his faith for something called Gnosticism. Now, I don't have time to share a detailed explanation of what the Gnostics actually believed right now, but I will simply say that they were a twisted version of Christianity, actually creating more confusion than anything else, and there are still some Gnostics today who still teach the same thing. But apparently... There were some in the church who were beginning to gravitate toward this false teaching, but God would have none of it. Whether we're talking about the dark heart of Balaam that led to eating food that was sacrificed to idols and all forms of sexual immorality, or if we're talking about the confusion that was brought on by false doctrine, there was really no room for compromise. And the same is true for us today. We must guard our hearts and minds so that what is of God can thrive. I will tell you, that is a tall task when we spend so much time in the world and so little time with the Lord. How many of us have spent more time watching television over this past week than we've spent in the word of God. How many of us have spent more time online or on social media than we have in prayer? Now I know that God can speak to those avenues also, but let me be direct with you. Those places tend to be less than God honoring. What if this week, we simply decided that before I could spend an hour in front of the television, I would spend an hour in the Word. What if we decided that before we spent an hour online, we would spend an hour in prayer? It may change what we watch or what we read when we are in those places. What I'm calling you to today is repentance just as our passage calls us to repent. We must change direction or we too will find ourselves like the church at Pergamum. They were a church that they had a lot going for them and they were doing good things and they had withstood the challenge that was in front of them. But here they are, they are drifting. It may just be beginning, but it needs to be stopped now. 
In Genesis 4, 7, the Lord warned Cain that sin is crouching at your door. And I am afraid that if we don't turn, we will find ourselves in a similar position. So we must repent. And the reward, if we are willing to change, if we will be faithful until the end, God offers us two things in this passage. The first is called hidden manna. And the second is a stone with a new name written on it. Both indicate the Lord's blessing and his presence. Manna was a miraculous, life-giving food that was provided to the Israelites as they wandered through the desert under Moses' leadership. They grew hungry. They asked God to provide for them. And every morning when they awoke, they found this magical substance on the ground. It was called manna. They could make all kinds of food with it. It provided them all the nourishment. It was, it was almost like the dew. It would show up and by lunchtime it was gone. So you had to get out and get it in the morning. What God is saying here is that he will provide for us just as he provided for the Israelites. In their case, God provided the food until the moment they reached the promised land. We have a promised land that we await as well. And what God is promising is I will be there and I will provide for you. In eternity, we won't need anything but God's presence. And that's what he's promising to us. That is a great reward. In fact, the new name thing, that sounds like it will be pretty cool. But the truth is that the best reward will simply be the presence of God. Oh, how I want to know the presence of God, both in eternity and in this life. And that takes me back to the issue of the heart. Balaam's heart was dark. How is your heart? And I know that on the outside, most of us have got it figured out. We look the part, but what's going on on the inside? The one with the double-edged sword, God himself knows the condition of your heart. If there is sin, it's time to confess it. It's time to make things right. Who knows when the day of the Lord will come? I just want to know that I'm ready when that day comes and I want you to be ready as well. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we're so grateful for your grace. We're grateful for the hope that we have in you. We're grateful for the promised presence of God that we will walk in for all eternity. But Lord, we, we come before you today recognizing that it is easy for us sometimes to put on a mask and on the outside, everyone to look at us and see someone who has it all together. But we recognize today that you know our hearts. You know where we've allowed sin to remain. And right now we confess that to you and we ask for your forgiveness.
We ask that you would help us to no longer have lives that are dominated by sin, but that for every moment moving forward, we would walk in the grace and the strength of your holiness. And Lord, I pray that you would help us today to become the people that you created us to be. Father, we praise you. We ask that your anointing would fall upon us, even in our homes. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, help us to be the people that you created us to be. So that when that day of judgment comes, we will not have to fear. but We will be able to rejoice. For when your double-edged sword penetrates our hearts, it will reveal individuals who are fully devoted to you above all else. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, it is such a blessing to have you with us today in this online capacity. I hate that we cannot do this together, but that being said, I am so grateful for those who have helped to make this happen. I do thank Derek, who is in our sound booth especially, as he's the one who is broadcasting this, and hopefully we'll be able to be back together very, very shortly. Thank you for being with us today. May you be blessed as you serve the Lord this week. Thank you.